Yeah, so good morning, everyone. Happy Easter Sunday. Um, my name is Nate Moyer. I get to, I'm not just a guitar player. I also get to be the director of youth ministry here. And um, yeah, so uh, go ahead and I hope you are turned in your Bibles to John chapter 4. Again, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 15. We will be looking at more of the passage, but these are the verses that we're going to be reading um, today. So um, Christian, hear the word of the Lord. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and take a seat and leave your Bibles open um, as as we pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Easter Sunday and what it means to us. Um, And as we open your word, would you grant us understanding? Would you open our eyes to your holy and perfect truth that we may grow to love you more? I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would open up our hearts to receive any encouragement or any correction that you might have to give us this morning. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We love you. We want to live lives that glorify you. That's the desire of our hearts. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin by posing a question that I myself have had to wrestle with for the past, I don't know, like seven or so years that I've really started to own my faith, to take it seriously. And that question is, do you truly believe in the cleansing power of Jesus? You know, I used to work at this place called, um, called Nectar. Raise your hand, by the way, if you've ever heard or been to a Nectar before. Okay, my parents are the only ones that are raising their hands. Um, so for apparently everybody in the room who's never been to a Nectar before, it's, uh, think of Jamba Juice, but more expensive and more pretentious. Um, but anyways, I, um, this one particular night, I had the closing shift, and um, it was me and one other guy, and, and this other guy, we'll, we'll call him Danny, um, for the sake of anonymity. You know, Danny was that type of guy that, you know, you could tell there was a lot going on, like, in that brain of his, but he never really let it out, but you could tell he was always, he was always thinking, I wonder how many of you guys know somebody like that in your life. So one day I just asked him, I was like, Danny, do you believe in God? He said, yes. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> do you believe in the Christian God? Do you believe in, like, um, Allah? Do you believe in, in the Mormon God? And he's like, no, I believe in the Christian God. I was like, okay, even better. Okay, cool. Uh, so are you a Christian then? He said, no. 
And I was sort of taken aback. And, and I asked him, well, why not? He said, because God can never love somebody like me. Hmm. And then I, I was thinking about it a little bit in my head, and the Holy Spirit led me to say something that I normally wouldn't say to somebody that, um, that wasn't a professing Christian. I, I, I said, so Danny, you believe in God, but you're not a Christian. Danny, since you believe in God, do you also believe in hell? He said, yes. Danny, do you believe you're going there? Yes. Well, then why... I was I was all lost for words. I said, "Well, then why do you why don't you do anything about it?" He said, "Because there's nothing to do. Because I've done way too many. I've done far too many bad things in my life to ever ever outweigh the good." Friends, it's possible to know about Jesus, but not truly know Jesus. It's so easy to be like my friend Danny. And believe that a good God can never love you because of X. Could never accept you because of Y. Why? See what I did there? Why? I think it's because the way our society and the way that life in general is just kind of set up. Is that if you do good things, you get rewarded. If you do bad things, you get what? Punished. You get punished. And I think that, friends, the mistake that we make sometimes is attributing this, this idea of like karma to God. And it's like I have done bad things in my life. So therefore I must like receive a punishment in return. Or I've done good things in life. So therefore the Lord must bless me. But the, the reason why we're celebrating Easter and the good news, the message, the good news of the gospel is that this principle of life, that good things come to those who do good things and bad things come to those who do bad things, is still in place. We still need to be punished for our sins. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Easter, is that punishment that should have fallen on the wrongdoer, us instead fell on Jesus Christ. Fell squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Friends, my, my friend Danny was right. He could never do enough good things to outweigh the bad. My friend Danny was right. He deserved hell. But my friend Danny was also wrong because Jesus Christ did enough good works for him and for all of us in this room right now. But for those of you who are sitting um, and, have, and are listening and, and have heard the message of salvation. I've heard the message of, of grace preached over and over and over again. And you might be tempted to tune out right now. I, I, I would gently challenge you to, to get really introspective in this moment. And really ask yourself, do I truly believe in the cleansing power of Jesus? Do I truly believe in grace upon grace upon grace upon grace? Because we may say that we do, and I, I know I say, I, I would mentally understand, I would say I mentally understand all this. But when we mess up, is it our natural instinct to approach the throne of grace boldly? Or is it to kind of shy away, to hide from God like Adam did in the garden? Do we stick up our nose at people that we perceive to be more sinful than us? 
Do we truly trust in God's cleansing power or do we hide the things we're ashamed of away with all the other skeletons in our closet and sort of on Sunday offer a a half-hearted, vaguely hopeless confession? Listen, I think if we only understand the concept of grace in our heads but we don't let that travel to make that way to our hearts, then we can never live in the joy, in the joy, friends, of having a relationship with our Heavenly Father. A joy, by the way, that only comes from unearned, unmerited, cleansing grace. I'll ask you again, do you truly believe in the cleansing power of Jesus? Go ahead and look down with me um, at verse four. It's a a bit of a long one, so strap in. And he had to pass through Samaria. I was joking, by the way, for those of you who didn't get it. He had to pass through Samaria. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. In fact, many of the Jewish people at the time would have intentionally chose to take the long way around Samaria. Why? Because they hated Samaritans so much. They were ethnically discriminatory towards these Samaritans. And this wasn't just a minority of Jews. This wasn't just like, Oh, those like racist Jews over there. That, that was like the majority of them. Jesus' own disciples. In fact, and sorry, I keep hitting this mic. I, like when I, when, I, when I preach, usually I do this to appear more intelligent. But I need to remember I have a mic in front of my face. Um, in, in fact, in Luke chapter 9, we see two of Jesus' disciples. They're, they're, denied, um, they're, they're denied lodging in, in Samaria. They get kicked out of Samaria. And two of Jesus' own disciples, James and John, like these were like the big disciples too. They weren't like Nathaniel. They were like, they were like the big disciples. They were like, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to burn down all of Samaria and everybody in it? Like that was like the attitude towards the Samaritans during this time. And in fact, in this very passage, in verse 27, when the disciples come back and they see that Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman, it says, uh, the translation says that their reaction was one of astonishment. It says that they marveled that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. Uh, Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman? And here's Jesus saying that he has to go through Samaria. That he has to pass through Samaria. He has to go through enemy territory. And on top of that, on top of that, he has the audacity to stop there. You know, I have a friend, um, she was about a freshman in college um, at the time who um, was driving home from school. She went to uh, school in Southern California, Biola, which is where I went. And she, um, her car broke down um, in Compton. Well, you know, while I'm not exactly saying that Compton is enemy territory, there, there are better places for your car to break down than in Compton. Um, luckily, you know, she she's okay, but uh, but the, <laughs> but that would have been, you know, that story doesn't go anywhere. But the, but that would have been that would have been pretty scary, right? Like if I if my car broke down in Compton, I'd be like, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this: Are there parts of town that you avoid? Are there people that you avoid? Because Jesus had to go through Samaria. 
He had to go through the bad power town. He had to stop there. Why? Because he had to find this woman. Because he had to tell her about the living water that only he could offer. Because he had to redeem her life from the pit. Friends, look at me. We don't serve a passive God. We serve a God who pursues. We serve a God who seeks. Who seeks out, by the way, that people that no one else will seek out. Even the good ones, like the disciples. He seeks those people out. He, 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 he leaves the 99 to find the one. He's the good shepherd. That's the God we serve. That's the God that, that we fall in love with. So what does Jesus do with this one lost sheep? He gives her the gospel. He gives her the good news. He tells her, I can give you living water. And we can see that she doesn't quite get it. She doesn't quite understand. She, she, she's like, how? I, I don't see a bucket. Like, I, you can't, like, tell me, how are you, tell me, how are you going to take this, bu- how are you going to get living water out of this well? And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not, see, I'm not talking about this well. Because if you drink water from this well, then you'll become thirsty again. The type of water that I'm offering you, this is Jesus, not Nate. The type of water that I'm offering you is living water that will satisfy Once you drink from the spring of living water, you'll never have to be thirsty again. And we see she kind of of starts to get it. She kind of starts to understand a little more. She says, okay, I want that. Please uh, give me this living water. I I want this living water. And there there it is. That's what we in the business call an altar call. Play, Play the keys. Dim the lights. Send them up to the front. Here's a package, a, 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 a gift package. Here's a, a cup with our logo on it. Here's a, a book of like, you know, start, start in John. Don't start in numbers. <laughs> you know, friends, I, I hope that you've had the privilege of sharing the gospel to somebody in, in your life. Um, and if you have, go ahead, go ahead and think back to that moment. I want you to think back to that moment. And if you haven't, that's, whole, uh, that, that's fine. Um, but, uh, but imagine that you are. Imagine, uh, imagine that one person in your mind that you just want to share the gospel to. Imagine that you're sharing the gospel with them. And then, friends, imagine they say yes. What are your next words going to be? You know, while I can't guess exactly what your next words are going to be, I'd be willing to bet that you tread carefully. That like there's a sense that like they've taken one fo- like they've taken one step into the door, and we don't want to push them in too quickly, or else they, or else they might pull out. We don't want to scare them off. You you'd be crazy if you said if the first words that came out of your mouth after they were just like yeah I want this Jesus you're like okay cool show me your browsing history. Okay, show me, tell me why you're not on speaking terms with this person. Tell me about your past marriages, about your past relationships. You'd be crazy, right? But that's what Jesus does. Is exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't try carefully. He says, okay, now go and get your husband. The first words out of Jesus' mouth, okay, go and get your husband and she says, I don't have one. 
And we can see from Jesus' response that he knew exactly what the answer to your question would be before she even asked it. Because he says, I know. I know. Because you've had five. And the one you're living with right now isn't your husband. She didn't offer him information. He already knew it because he's God. So why, like on the surface, this might seem cruel. Why is he doing this? Why, why does he bring to light, bring out into the open, expose a wound that she's so obviously ashamed of? By the way, that's why she's at the well in the afternoon and not in the morning. Because if she went to the well in the morning, the most popular time for the women of the town to get water at that well, then she would have to face them. She wants to go in the afternoon when there's nobody there. Friends, I wonder how many of you have felt shame that deep where you can't even be in the same vicinity as other people. Her shame runs so deep that she can't even be around other people. See, we can understand the message of grace in our heads. All we want, we can, we can understand that a doctor's job is, is to help us, but when the time comes to actually, actually go to the doctor, oftentimes we choose not to. For anybody out there who's under 20 years old, um, I'm going to bring up two things that are probably going to make myself sound a lot older um, than I actually am. And if you are above 20 years old and you don't know these things, I hope that I don't make you feel too old. Um, but those two things are, are, are Ryan Higa and Fruit Ninja. Um, for those of you who don't know what those things are, Ryan Higa um, was a YouTuber back in the glory days of YouTube. He had a really big channel. And then Fruit Ninja was this, was this app on your phone where like fruit would come flying at your screen and <laughs> you'd use your finger to cut it like a ninja sword. That's why it's called Fruit Ninja. <laughs> the things that entertain us, am I right? Uh, anyways, um, those two things, Ryan Higa and Fruit Ninja, were really popping off at, at, at this particular time. And Ryan had the uh, great idea to dress up as a ninja, to get a real-life ninja sword, and have his friends throw actual fruit um, at him, and he would cut it with his real-life ninja sword. And um, he called that video uh, Real-Life Fruit Ninja. And, um, you know, for those of you who um, are wondering why in the world he would do this, you know, the mind of a guy in his 20s is a beautiful and a unique thing. <laughs> but, but sometimes its uniqueness overshadows its beauty. Um, but I, I'm sure a lot of you can see where this story is going. You know, something goes awry. Um, he um, ends up cutting his arm with his ninja sword. And, but he goes to the hospital. He gets it all patched up. He's fine. Like, he, he still has his arm. Hallelujah. Um, uh, but I just really want to quickly, for, for our purposes here, put ourselves in the shoes of Ryan Higa. Um, you just cut your arm with a real-life ninja sword. And you're dressed up in your ninja outfit. And you realize that you're going to have to go to the ER and sit in the ER waiting room in your ninja outfit with your ninja sword. 
and you have to, you're gonna have to tell the doctor um, that you cut your arm filming a real life Fruit Ninja video um, as he rolls up your ninja outfit um, <coughs> arm <coughs> to tend to your wound. Um, is that going to be a fun experience? No, no, probably not. Should, should you still do it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my mom would be so proud of me. Why? Because the doctors and nurses are still going to help you. No matter how foolish of a mistake you just made. I have a friend that works in the ER. There was a guy that came in an ambulance. He called, not, this dude dialed 911, called an ambulance. And he said, come get me. And when he came up, they were like, what's wrong? He said, I have bad breath. And they still helped him. Friends, if, if doctors and nurses are, are willing to help you, how much more willing is your heavenly father willing to help you in your time of need? Regardless, regardless of how foolish a mistake you just made. Regardless of how heinous your sin might be. Um, if you look down at, at verses 21 and uh, 23, and I, I have them up in the screen, um, you know, there, there's a part of the youth director that's still in me. So um, everybody, look down at verses 21 and 23 and find with me um, how many different titles Jesus refers to God the Father as. For those of you who want to cheat, um, despite the fact that we are in church, I have them on the screen up there. Um, there's one word that Jesus refers to God as um, in this interaction with the Samaritan woman. And that one word is, say it with me, Father. Say it with me, Father. I'm not going to do three times. This woman, you know, all, all throughout, we can see all throughout the Gospels that Jesus knew exactly what people needed. Because he's God. He knew exactly what people needed. And he knew what this woman needed was to know God as Father. Was to know God as Father. She needed to know that God loves her like a good father. She needed to know that God cares for her in her brokenness like a father would. She needed to know that he's not going to condone her sin. Just like a father wouldn't condone the misbehavior of his child. But he still loves her despite her sin, despite her shame. And not only that, he doesn't just tolerate her like a father sometimes does with this kid. It's like, I love you, but I don't love you right now. That's not how our Heavenly Father operates. He doesn't just tolerate her. He cleanses her. He cleanses her. And he cleanses us as well. Jesus wants this woman to know God as Father. Do you need to know God as Father? But, but but listen, um, do we need to know God as Lord? Because because in our mar uh, when as we marvel at God as our heavenly Father, we should never lose sight of Him as our King and as our Lord, who deserves to be respected and ver and worshipped as such, and vice versa. You know, we should never lose sight of the relational aspect that comes with the reality of God being our heavenly Father. Both His lordship and His and his fatherhood should marry, should influence the way we see God. But here's the thing. I, I think a lot of us, myself included, I think this woman struggled to know God as 
father because she had focused so long on, on her deity being Lord. But friend, I think that sometimes, sometimes we might, and I'm guilty of this. I don't know how many of us in this room are guilty of this, but I think that sometimes we can, we can put the emphasis too much on, on God the Father. And not enough as God as Lord and King. And I think it, it's because um, we have a general uh, distrust of authority figures in our life. Whether it be, I don't know, your boss. I trust my boss, don't worry. Um, or, you know, uh, government officials. Um, or, you know, a- anybody that has authority over you. There's just a general sense of distrust. And, and Lord and King, like that's like an authority title. We, we sang it this morning, the song King of Kings. Our God is the King of Kings. He's better than all kings that, will, that have come before him and will come after him. He's greater than all other leaders. Because a, a good king would have listened to his people with humility. But the King of Kings embodied humility when he came down from his glory in heaven to live amongst his people here on earth. Live amongst his people and die at the hands of his people while they mocked him on the cross. A good king would have rushed into battle, um, would have rushed into battle with an army following close behind him. But yet, yeah, our king also rushes into battle, but not with an army behind him. He rushes into battle while we cower in the background. I love that, um, that Scott Matson brings up this verse so much. This is like a top three verse in the Bible for me. Colossians 2.15. It says that he disarmed, defeated, and put to open shame the powers of darkness. That's a lot of war talk right there. That sounds a lot like a war right there. That sounds a lot like a conquering king right there. But friends, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, going to war for us and his disciples, where were his disciples? Not there. They were hiding out of fear of what would happen to them. They weren't with Jesus in his darkest time. They didn't rush into battle with him. You know, I'm not a disciple. I I would have definitely gone to the cross. I wouldn't have been like Peter. I wouldn't have denied him three times. But one thing I have to ask myself, and maybe you might have to ask this as well, is how many times have I shied away from something I knew the Lord wanted me to do because of fear. And if we think about that just for a little bit, I think it humbles us. But I think it also increases our love for our King of Kings. God is our Father, and God is our King, and only a good God that has the loving nature of a Father and the power of a King would have the ability and the desire to cleanse us of our sin. The ability and the desire. He is able because he's king. Because he is Lord over our lives. He has the ability to cleanse us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's able to do that. He's the only king that's able to pardon us. But just because he has the ability doesn't mean that he has a desire. But the good news of the gospel The reason why we're celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus on this day is that his ability to cleanse us is also his desire. Because he is our father who loves us. And we have to take hold of that. We have to hold on to that when things get rough. 
And once we see that, once we take hold of that, once we truly believe that, once we give the Holy Spirit space to illuminate that truth in our hearts, only then can the message of the gospel transform us. And that's exactly what we see with this woman. That's exactly what we see with this woman. In verses 25 through 30, we can see, or, or actually um, more specifically, um, in verses um, 20, uh, 28 through 30, it says, So the woman left her large and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. And I want us to take special note of the beginning of the passage because we can see that she has the understanding of who the Messiah is. She knows what the Messiah came to do. And then Jesus says one sentence that completely transforms her. And that sentence is, I who speak to you am he. The thing that transformed this woman was the fact that the man standing before her that loved her despite her sin and despite her shame could also cleanse her. That he was the Messiah, that he was the son of God and that transformed her because she understood what it meant that she was forgiven by him, that she was loved by him. I think that sometimes we lose sight of this, that we are forgiven by Jesus. And I think we, we lose sight of the weight of that, that we are forgiven by Jesus. Um, Tim Keller illustrates this concept better than anyone. And um, I'm not going to lie, recent events have put this on my mind. Um, you'll see what I mean. Imagine that, that somebody, that, uh, imagine like your greatest enemy, <laughs> um, Sauron. Um, comes through these doors and he comes right up to you and he slaps you in the face. <laughs> you see why recent events I put this on my mind. Um, and, and, I, and I see that and I, I walk up and I, I'm like, hey, so-and-so who just slapped so-and-so, I forgive you. I forgive you for slapping Caroline Jernigan in the face. What a monster you have to be to do that. Can I do that? No. Why? Because I wasn't the one that was slapped. I, I don't have the red mark on my face. So why is it that Jesus is able to say, I forgive you? All throughout the gospels, Jesus say, I forgive you of your sins. I forgive you. And I think, friends, what that means, what that tells us is that somehow, some way, our sin hurts God. Our sin hurts Jesus. Because when he hung on that cross, he took our sin and he took his, our shame. And the wrath of God fell upon him. It was the worst day and the greatest day in history. And get this, that hadn't happened yet in this story. 
Jesus hadn't died yet for this woman. In this story, she wasn't truly covered by the cleansing blood of the lamb. We are. We, Christian, hear this. We are. And yet she, despite Jesus not dying for her yet, she approached people from such a place of victory. She's not better than them because, of, uh, because she's received the good news. She's not worse than them despite what she's done, because I'm sure that the people in that town have skeletons in their closet as well. But she's so moved by the message of grace. She's so moved by the Messiah loving her, despite her sin, that she has to tell other people. Jesus doesn't say, now go tell other people. He says, I who speak to you am he. And she goes without him saying anything. The Son of God died for our sins. Christian, we have absolutely no excuse. We have absolutely no excuse to walk around defeated. Absolutely no excuse. If we see what the good news did to this woman, if we see the gospel, how it transformed this woman, then we must follow in her footsteps. Then, we mu- then our lives must look very similar to how this woman looked after she encountered Jesus. And I hope that if you're not a Christian in the room, that you have encountered Jesus. I hope that, that you have a, a better understanding of what it is exactly that Jesus offers. And if you have, and if you want to know more, we've been praying all week. If you want to know more, please come, uh, come find me. Come talk to me. I'll be up at the front here. Come, go find Pastor Dustin or, or, or Pastor Richard. We'd love, we, we'd love to, to talk to you and, 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 um, and walk you through that process. But I want to end with a quote from one of my favorite preachers, Matt Chandler. He says this, God is not after our begrudging submission. Christianity is not a list of rules that we're reluctant to follow. This woman wasn't reluctant to go into the town to approach the very same people that she was just moments ago scared to death to even be in the same vicinity of. Christianity is not a list of rules that we're reluctant to follow. It should be a lifestyle that we um, dive into with gladness, with joy. When Jesus approached her, despite her ethnicity and despite her gender, she wanted to talk to him. She wants to know more about him. When Jesus calls out her sin yet loves her despite it, she, her shame is lifted. And when she realizes that this man that had done everything for her is the Messiah, she's moved. Her feet are moved. When we truly realize what it is that Jesus is offering, when we realize that it's already done, that he's already finished it on the cross, then all of a sudden we want to share the good news with others. Then all of a sudden we desire to live righteously. All of a sudden we want to get to know him more because the same Jesus that we read in this passage is alive today and he's seated in victory at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Amen. That's the God that we believe in. If you are a Christian in the room, Jesus had to go through the bad part of town Jesus had to meet this woman. Friends, will you join Jesus in his journey to leave the 99 to find the one? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. 
I thank you for that you drew each and every single person in this room here for this Sunday where we celebrate your death, where we celebrate your resurrection. And Lord, I pray that we would be changed by that. Lord, I pray that you would move powerfully in the hearts of every single person that is sitting in these chairs today. I pray that we would grow to love you more. I pray that we would see you rightly. I pray that we would love you rightly. We would give ourselves to you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.